You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. Hello and welcome to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org. This episode is called Do Angels Have Wings? Now almost every picture we've seen of an angel presents a glowing human-like form with wings that allows them to effortlessly glide through the skies. But is this really the picture the Bible presents of angels? And perhaps more importantly, what are angels? And what is their purpose? Tonight we have such a fun and enlightening topic to discuss. And we phrased it like a bit of a question. Do angels have wings? But if we're being honest, we don't actually really care about that question. We're more interested in who angels are and what their purpose is. And we hope to uncover a little bit more about that today. We opened our webinar this week with the record of Abraham and Sarah that Dan had referenced in Genesis chapter 18, where they're visited by these angels that come to them, these messengers of God. And what's interesting is that if you read Genesis 18 on its own, well, you wouldn't find the word angel in there anywhere. What we do know is that there's three men and one man, stays behind to speak with Abraham, and the other two men continue on to rescue Lot from Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis chapter 19. In both cases, these are angels. And in fact, in Genesis 19, when we read about these two men, well, they're no longer called men. They're actually called angels. But both to Abraham and to Lot, they appear disguised simply as human beings, as men, as it says in scripture. But in both cases, the angels come as messengers of God. To Abraham, they come and they deliver the message. It's a wonderful message of hope because they change Abram's name to Abraham because he's going to be a father of a multitude. And then they tell him about the exact time period when he's going to receive the blessing of the promised son. It's going to be within the year that Isaac will be born. Certainly wonderful message, a wonderful message to deliver to Abraham. Now, in the case of Lot, it's a little bit different. They go to deliver the message that Lot and his family need to be removed from Sodom promptly because the city itself is going to be destroyed because of the wickedness. In both of these events, the angels are acting like envoys or messengers on behalf of God. They represent God. Now, it might surprise you how frequently angels appear in the Bible. The Hebrew word for angel that appears in Genesis 19 is the word malak that you can see on the screen. And it means messenger or angel. And it occurs 214 times in the Old Testament. Now, if you remember from previous webinars, the New Testament isn't written in Hebrew like the Old is. The New Testament's written in Greek. And the equivalent word in the New Testament is the word angelos in Greek. And of course, it means angel and it occurs 186 times. So based on that, we have roughly 400 occurrences, 400 references to angels in the Bible. And that stretches right from Genesis chapter 16, 
when an angel speaks to Hagar, the maidservant of Sarah, all the way up to Revelation chapter 22, to the very end of the Bible. So throughout the breadth of scripture, we have angels being referenced. But when you think about that, the entire length of the Bible, 400 references doesn't really seem like that many. In fact, what we find as we go through scripture is that not every reference of these words, Malik, angel, or angelos, are in reference to an immortal spiritual being like an angel. I'm going to read one verse for you from Malachi chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2 says, For the priest's lips should keep knowledge, and they should seek the law at his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Now this verse clearly is talking about a priest, a human being, a man, who's in this role serving and ministering to God. And in this particular role, the priest is defined as a messenger, as a malik, as an angel. It's the same Hebrew word that's used in Genesis 16 of an angel of God. So what we learn from that is that an angel can simply be a messenger. It could be a human being. And so what we have to do is we have to look at the context to determine whether it's an immortal being, an angel, or rather if it's a human being. In both cases, they're going to be messengers on behalf of God, but the context will become important to helping us establish whether it's a human or an angel. And that's really handy to have in your back pocket when you're reading through scripture, especially when you come to some of the difficult verses as they pertain to angels. Remember the context is the key. Now you might wonder why on the screen we have the Hebrew word Elohim there. That's the word that's often translated in our English Bibles as God. It's the most common word for God, and it means mighty ones. And it occurs 2,606 times. Now, if you stretch your mind back to previous webinars, you'll remember that when we speak of God, he is one being, a singular being. So how then is it possible that we could use a term mighty ones, plural, to refer to God? Well, we're going to look at Genesis chapter one to help us understand this concept. But before we do, I want you to consider the following verse that's on the screen from Psalm 103 and verse 20. Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength, that do his God's commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his God's word. You see, what this verse tells us is that, well, the angels, they, they listen to the word of God and they do his commandments. They're like ambassadors. In effect, you could say that they represent God, and that's not really that much of a foreign concept to us. You see, when I go to work, I represent my company to our customers. I'm not the CEO of the company. I'm not the company itself, but everybody understands that I'm a representative. It's the same concept here with angels. Angels represent God to those who are serving him on the earth and often to others as well. Now, if we come over to Genesis chapter one, the Bible opens with the record of creation. And in verse one, we read, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That word God that's highlighted in blue, that's the Hebrew word Elohim. That's mighty ones. And what I'd like to suggest to you is that that word Elohim is referring to the angels. And the angels are working as ambassadors, as representatives of God, carrying out the will of God. We read throughout Genesis chapter one that God spoke and things were created. And what this tells us is that when God spoke, well, the angels were the ones who did the work. 
And there's a bit of proof in this chapter, actually, that that is the case. If you look at verse 26, this verse could be difficult to interpret on its own, but hopefully we'll come to see that it actually reveals an important idea for us. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 says, And God, that's Elohim, said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Why would we use plural pronouns of a singular being? If God is just one being, why would we have the word us used or our? Because, well, it's just one God. But if it's the angels that are working on behalf of God, well, then it makes sense. What we start to see is this picture of many angels who are listening to the word of God and then bringing about the creation of the earth as we know it. And in this particular case, the angels are making man to be like themselves. And of course, by extension, that means that man was created in the image and likeness of God. So all of a sudden, the number of times that we read of angels in the Bible, well, it's not just limited to the 400 references, give or take, but it's much, much higher. And I should be clear, I'm, I'm not saying that every time you read the word God, that is the Hebrew word Elohim in the Old Testament, it's not always referring to the angels. In fact, there's another group that's going to come to represent God, just like the angels do. And we're going to touch on that before we finish our thoughts today. But I want you to just tuck that into the back of your mind for a second. We'll come back before we finish. So we know from what we've discussed so far that angels are messengers. They're ambassadors of God. They listen to God and they perform his commandments. Now, Psalm 103 says that they're filled with strength. And if they created the world as we know it, well, that's almost an understatement, isn't it? Not only are they filled with strength, they're filled with the power of God. We also know that they can disguise their appearance from men so that Abraham and Lot couldn't identify that they were, in fact, angels. Now, let's consider two more facts about angels before we wrap our thoughts up today. The first fact that I, I want us to consider comes from the record that's on the screen of 2 Chronicles chapter 18, from verse 18 to 21. And this is a record of the life of King Jehoshaphat. And I think it reveals something that's pretty remarkable for us, because when I was younger, I used to think of angels as these immortal, powerful beings, but they're almost like robots. But that's not the case. And that's exactly what we find here, because Micaiah is a prophet of God, and he's come before King Ahab and King Jehoshaphat, and he's going to reveal a vision that God's given him. He says in verse 18, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting upon his throne and all the host of heaven, that is the angels, standing on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, who shall entice Ahab, king of Israel, that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one angel spake after this manner and another saying after this manner, then there came out a spirit, an angel, and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. And the Lord said unto him, wherewith? And the angel said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all of his prophets. And the Lord said, thou shalt entice him, and thou shalt also prevail. Go out and do even so. Can you picture the scene that's being represented here? What Micaiah sees is kind of like a boardroom. And at the head of the table in this boardroom, we have God. And then all about the table around him are all these angels. And God puts this problem forward to this boardroom. And he says, we need to entice Ahab to come to this battle because he needs to die at this battle in Ramoth Gilead. That's my plan for him. So how do we get him here? And one by one, they go around the room and the angels offer their suggestions. 
Finally, an angel steps up and says, I have an idea. We're going to do exactly what you did, God, way back in Judges chapter 9. We're going to use lying spirits. We're going to use false prophets. And we're going to use Ahab's own prophets to tell him lies. And they're going to say that you should go to battle. And he's going to be enticed by that. And God likes the idea. And then he gives the authority to this angel. And he says, go and make it happen. And you will be successful. Now, to me, that's such an exciting revelation because, well, it adds emotion. It adds drama. And it, it makes angels more relatable. They don't have all the answers. In fact, we're told in 1 Peter chapter 1 that the angels desire to look into the things that God's revealed to us. They're his ministers, but they don't have his knowledge. They need to look into things just like you and I do so that they can understand God's plan and purpose. Now, the second event that I want us to consider will hopefully give us some inspiration when we come to deal with hard times and trials in our lives. And what we want to look at is one of the, the events that happens in the life of the prophet of Elisha. Here in 2nd of Kings chapter 6, Elisha and his servant are in the city of Dothan. And the Syrian army is besieging the city. You see, the king of Syria is pretty upset. He thinks that Elisha has been spying on him and relaying all of his plans to the king of Israel so that the Syrians can't conquer them. And well, that's actually true. So the king of Syria wants to capture and perhaps kill Elisha. And so we pick up in verse 15 of 2nd of Kings 6 on the screen. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servants said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And Elisha answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Can you picture this scenario? It's, it's almost comical, isn't it? Because, well, here we have Elisha and his servant. They're alone. They're trapped in this city, almost figuratively trapped in this house. And there isn't a weapon between the two of them. And they know that the king of Syria is coming against them. And in the morning, the servant opens the door to this house. And as far as he can see, everywhere he looks is the Syrian army, soldiers and chariots, horses. There's hundreds, if not thousands of soldiers that have come against two men. I mean, that's overkill. Talk about desperately wanting to achieve a goal for the king of Syria to send so many troops for just these two men. And they knew that they were going to be captured and perhaps killed. And so you can imagine the terror that this servant was experiencing as he comes in and he tries to stammer out the words to explain to Elisha what was happening. And Elisha isn't stressed. He simply says, there's more with us than with it, than are with them. And you can imagine the confusion of this servant. He's looking at Elisha, looks at himself. There's two of us. There's thousands of them. And we don't even have a weapon. What do you mean there's more with us than with them? So Elisha prays and he opens, or rather God opens the eyes of the servant. And what he sees all around the Syrian army is horses and chariots of fire. It's the angels. And you know what? There were so many angels and they were so powerful that it made the Syrian army look like an absolute joke. And it was through these angels that God was going to deliver Elisha and his servants. And they did. And we're told 
in Psalm 34 and verse 7, that the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. You know, we have the same hosts that encamp around us, and they're there for our guidance and for our deliverance and for our protection, but with a caveat, if we fear God. We need to serve God and fear him, and then God's angels will protect us. And I hope that helps encourage you when you're dealing with hard and difficult times. Now, I find the study of angels so fascinating, but what can we take about this subject to make it more relatable? Why do we want to study angels, and what can we gain from it? Well, consider the words of the Lord Jesus Christ that are on the screen. Here in Luke chapter 20, he's speaking to the religious leaders, and he's talking specifically about the saints in the kingdom age, those who've been judged worthy, judged righteous, and been given eternal life in a place in God's kingdom. And Christ says in verse 36, neither can they, that is the saints, die anymore, for they are equal unto the angels and are the children of God, being the children of the resurrection. You see, that's the hope that we have of being equal to the angels. Now, remember at the beginning of our class, I told you to keep something in the back of your mind. That word Elohim, the mighty ones, sometimes in the Bible references the angels who are the messengers of God, who represent God. Well, there's another group that's sometimes being referenced here, another group that can represent God, and it's the saints. It's those who are equal to the angels. It's those who've been resurrected, who've stood before Christ at the judgment seat, who've been judged worthy and have been given immortality and a place in that kingdom. And they've been given the autonomy to bring about God's will. And they've been allowed to represent God and been allowed to fill the earth with his glory. You see, that's the hope that we have of being equal to the angels in the kingdom. We're, we're the understudies. And it's our hope to take over that role in the kingdom age. And what a wonderful hope that is. If you found this video helpful, then make sure to go to our website to find other Bible study materials. And also don't forget to take the quiz by using the link down below. If you take enough quizzes, you'll earn some awesome rewards as well as some very useful Bible study tools. We at Bible Basics Webinar also specialize in individual and small group Bible studies. You can text us by using the phone number that's also down in the description as well as our email to get more information about our Zoom and in-person classes. And of course, thank you so much for watching Bible Basics Webinar, where we use the Bible to learn about God. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, 
please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at btf at cdvideo.org. If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.